Hey there, thanks for popping in. Don't make yourself a stranger. Become a part of the growing crowd listening to our show weekly. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on whatever platform you're listening to us on. Just simply hit the subscribe button so that you don't miss out on any of our great future episodes or miss the episode when we give away Amos car without him knowing about it. Seriously though, you never know what will happen on this show, so you don't want to miss it. Also, if you have a comment or opinion on today's broadcast, you can leave us a voice message if you're listening on Anchor. Just click on the voice message button. Who knows? We may read it on our next show. You can also follow me on Twitter, at GridironStuds. Just find a tweet about our show and post a comment. We may read it on ear. You can also do the same by liking the Gridiron Studs show on Facebook. Now, on to today's show. One. All right, welcome Gridiron Studs show. It is Friday, February something. No, actually, February 19th. He's Emil Calamino. I'm Chad Wilson. We're here to talk to you today about stuff in the sports world. Primarily football, because we're football heads, aren't we, Emil? Aren't we? We are football heads. And plus, it's a football show. So, I mean, if we start talking about soccer or something, we could get a few people to turn off. Yeah, it wouldn't jive too well with the name Gridiron Studs Show. But we will, from time to time, touch on things outside of the world of football and maybe even sports every now and then when it calls for it. But uh, today, coming up on the show, uh, we are going to talk about the Wentz trade. Carson Wentz, no longer an eagle, but following a coach who some think was very instrumental in his success. Amel and I will talk about that. I am going to make a complete about face on something I had a strong opinion on before. I'm springing that on Amel. We'll debate it, hopefully, and I think he will hold tough to his position um, and not cave on the stuff that I'm going to be throwing his way, though I am very influential. And uh, we're, we're going to tackle. Now, this is going to be weird to y'all that first listen to it, because it was to me when it came my way. But Emil and I are going to name the top 10 NFL running backs of all time. And when you first hear that, you think that's very simple. Ha ha. I'm here to tell you it's not. Emil and I reveal our top 10. And we're going to see just how close we are in terms of how many guys we have the same in that list. I know we're not going to have the same order. There's no way, but no, we will see. And I, and I would encourage everybody, you know, it sounds like a silly list. And it, you think, you know, when you said to me, I want you to name your top 10 running backs, have a list ready. I said, oh, okay, this is easy. And I started doing it. And it's probably one of the harder positions to do, maybe even harder than quarterback. Because when you start doing it, you go through the list, you, you realize how many people that were great, that you have to leave off your list. No matter who you, no matter what your list is, you're going to leave off another 10 guys that you think, man, they could have made the list. <laughs> yeah, Emil thought I was just giving him some busy work till he probably sat yeah. down to do that and realize, hey, you know what? This is actually challenging and might be fun. It was actually fun to go back and you discover some things when you start looking at stats. Though it's not all about stats for me. I did discover some things in looking at it. Some guys sure. you thought in the past were, you know, greater than they actually were. Um, and then there were some guys who were better than you expected to be. Yeah. So we'll, we'll discuss yeah. all that. All right, let's jump into some quick news. Um, going to kick this off with something sad. Emil, this kind of um, hit me in the side of the head when I saw it. It's kind of the way 2021 has started off as we try to depart from the crazy 2020. But we've had a lot of celebs pass. Um, for those of you who may remember, and I don't, I don't expect Emil to know this guy, but Prince Marky D passed away 
yesterday. He was a member of the Fat Boys, and so I know you you remember who the Fat Boys were, but um, yeah, he was fifty two. I saw the story. I mean, I yes. honestly, admittedly, you know, didn't didn't know the guy in detail like you like you may have, but uh, you know, I saw, I read the story. Yeah, fifty two passed away. Another 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 celebrity. It's been a bad year and fourteen months since Kobe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, listen. And when you say 52, that's, you know, around our age, your age. So, you know, it starts to mess with your head. But I'm not even talking about that anymore. I'm talking about the passing of Vincent Jackson, um, a player I paid attention to when he came into the league um, because he was a a specimen. He's one of those big, tall wide receivers with exceptional um, elite type speed and made an impact for the San Diego Chargers as a man in his 30s and you know, this week found dead in a hotel room in Tampa. So they're going to begin to try and figure out what happened there. The, you know, of course, I expect all the early stuff to be CTE and things along those lines. Well, he suffered from what I'm reading, chronic alcoholism. And, you know, the story, I, I read stories as you get better at reading the news as, and that, that comes with experience. You, you read stories and there's, scra- there's things in the story that make you scratch your head, but they're not explained. So they said his wife, and children, and they mentioned them in the story, and then it said, but he been living in a hotel for a month. So you're sitting there going, well, wait, you got a wife and kids that are upset about your passing, so obviously you had some relationship with them, but you're living in a hotel for a month, which doesn't make sense. So the whole thing's confusing. We'll have to piece all that together, obviously. Um, you know, it could be a situation where, you know, uh, you departed the household, especially if the whole alcoholism thing is true. Uh, maybe left the house for one reason or another. And um, you ended up in a hotel room and bad things happened there. So uh, we'll find out more as we go, but just always tough to hear uh, someone of that age passing. And then, you know, when you remember what they were physically um, and then they're passing away at that age, that also messes with your head some. Sure. Especially, you know, that's really young, a guy, like you said, he was a specimen, young guy, um, you know, you wonder, you have to, it has to make you wonder. I mean, you know, I think we run to the, the CTE quick anymore, but you do have to start to wonder with some of these guys in just a bizarre way. Cause you know, from, from all accounts, I mean, I've read quite a few stories probably like you did about Jackson. He, he was basically a universally, uh, you know, loved guy. It sounded like, I mean, uh, Walter Payton award winner, if I'm remembering my, my facts correct here. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, man of the year or something, you know, when he was playing. So, I mean, he seemed like a pretty, a pretty sound guy. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, I mean, and we're going to get in, uh, you know, probably a, a, a definite or strong answer because is the family is donating his brain to the CTE center in Boston. So we'll, you know, we'll have some results there um, and we'll find out more. So, but uh, yeah, gone too soon. Vincent Jackson at the age of 38. Um, moving on, Amal, I, I haven't been watching much basketball this year. Um, I did watch, I did, I did watch the, the Nets and the Lakers last night. I mean, if you're going to watch a game, that's, yeah. that's one to watch. Unfortunately, Anthony Davis didn't play. Um, Brooklyn looks like a really good basketball team right now, especially if those three guys, the three main heads there are going to work together. Brooklyn's going to be a real tough out in this thing. It looks like to me. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm a Laker fan. It's hard for me to watch a lot of regular season games with 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 the the Lakers because at this point, you, you kind of know 
their MO is just get to the playoffs. Um, Davis is always hurt. So, you know, it's hard. But, yeah, I think the Nets will be – they're definitely going to be tough on the offensive end. You just wonder defensively, you know, how, how they'll hold up in the playoffs. I mean, you know, Harden's not exactly known as a guy that's really interested in defense. Yeah, and, that's going to be the rub for them is yeah. in those moments, will he be able to do the dirty work? I know they're going to have to get some contribution from, you know, the role players, the guys we don't talk about during this part of the year. Um, but when we start getting into May and June, um, those guys are going to have to show up and hopefully the three leaders of this team can bring the energy. They're not known for their defense. Let's just put it to you that way. But isn't isn't everything offensive nowadays anyway? Well, well, it is. But you know, playoff playoffs with any sport, you know, they, they change the intensity. Um, especially this year without a real home court advantage, because you know you got to think there's going to be limited to zero fans depending on where, what venue the game is at. So you take a team like the Lakers. I'm not sure what their incentive is to even get a number one seed. I think their incentive is let's get to the playoffs healthy. I sent you guys a note on our group text the other night. If it was me, I'd sit Davis for four or five weeks if I had to. He's got this lingering injury. There's no point to playing this guy. Get him healthy. I mean, Schrader didn't play last night either. That That's a hard game to get a read out of. You have LeBron basically playing the Nets. <laughs> <laughs> I mean – yeah, I mean, we're just canceling out Kuzma, but I get it. I know what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, and Durant didn't play. To be fair to the Nets, that game was, you know, uh, interesting on paper, but when you eliminate Anthony Davis, Schrader, and Durant, I mean, it's a whole different game when they play. It just, I think, I think this year, you know, the Nets, to me, the East is going to be about the, the Nets. I think the Bucks will eventually figure things out, and I think the Sixers are going to be tough. The Sixers seem to, you know, have made some roster tweaks, but they're another team. You know, Embiid is a guy that he's only going to play 60 games in the regular yeah, well, season. Well, the Sixers just seem to me now the team primed to leave the playoffs early. Just uh, you don't, yeah, you don't like their chemistry. I know you don't, you probably just don't yeah, like it's them. not, it's not working. I'm intrigued by Brooklyn, obviously, and for the game of basketball. Um, uh, you know, a Brooklyn LA Lakers final is what everyone w- in the sport would want, need, etc. Et I guess you know, but the, I don't. The Clippers just there's something. See, I always felt that all their moves last year were a bit overblown because you know, Leonard, as good as he is and as talented as he is, he never really had to be a leader. What I mean by that is in San Antonio, he could just do his thing. They still had the core of guys there with Ginobili and Duncan and those guys. So he just did his thing. Then he went to Toronto and you'll say, oh, well, he led them to a championship. On the court he did, but Lowry was kind of the the, the, the guy that was the leader per se, the, the vocal leader. He, and, you know, he goes to the Clippers last year and he's got Paul George and neither guy is a really vocal guy. <laughs> a guy that's, you know, they just kind of, they do their thing. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. We'll see how this whole thing's goes getting back to the gridiron Carson Wentz is now an Indianapolis Colts what's your early reaction to that Emil Colts Super Bowl champs you know it's it's a head scratcher well not a head scratcher let me put it this way when you don't have a quarterback in the NFL right you don't have a chance so they're buying low on Wentz hoping they can fix him I'm not sure the things that car if the stories out of Philadelphia are accurate which there's been enough of them that I think if there's smoke at this point, there's some fire. Wentz doesn't seem very coachable and doesn't seem like much of a leader. 
And I'm not sure how you fix that. I mean, I've read stories where he was literally disregarding the play sent in from the sidelines, not audibly, just disregarding play, calling his own stuff. Um, and that, that, you know, that was coming from players and stories I read. So I don't know if you can fix that. You know, I mean, you could fix footwork and all the other stuff, but I'm not sure you could fix that. Well, he is there with Frank Reich. Uh, the, whether you feel like Frank Reich was, was the reason for his success or whatever, he just happens to be the only person that he's been with when he had success. Uh, no, Frank I, Reich Frank, I felt like Frank, Frank Reich was the reason the Eagles were successful. And I think, you know, Doug Peterson has been shown to be what he is, which is a very average coach. What's right left? I mean, yeah, Peterson, because I'm a Cowboys fan, I watch enough Eagles up here when Cow, you know, because their games are on too, and I don't like the Eagles, but Peterson makes some head scratchers. I mean, he does some things you're watching games like, wow. <laughs> you know, maybe behind the scenes, uh, Wentz really liked the way Frank Wright called the game, handled him, et cetera, et cetera. When Wright left, he just had a hard time dealing with what was being done in terms of play calling coaching, et cetera, with the guys that remained there, including Peterson. So no, that might have been the reason for the, for the disregarding of plays. It was for the Eagles, they got no, they got essentially nothing. I mean they got a third round pick and they got a second that could turn into a first, fine. But the, look what they gave up when they when they moved up to get Wentz at the time. And they're going to have the, the largest dead money cap charge in NFL history, they said. Very uh, tough. Almost thirty four million. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, you look what the Eagles, you know, they got nothing in that. When you when you trade a quarterback that you took number two overall, you get a third and maybe a first the next year. That's a maybe you didn't get anything. And for the Colts, in my view, you need a quarterback. They don't have one. Buying low is not a bad idea if you think you can fix them. And obviously they do. And the Colts seem to have a pretty strong organization right now. So I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and say that they, they see something there. Yeah, this is going to be very interesting to me. I leave the part of, you know, who really won the trade to you. I know you pay very close attention to that. For me, on the surface, um, two picks, one being a second and a third, possibly a first, seems low for Carson Wentz. I mean, a year or two ago, we were talking about this guy being one of the um, – if not the top young quarterback in the league. He was the reason that – um, people were saying Dak didn't deserve the amount of money he was asking for because Dak was asking for more than what Wentz was making. Um, so Wentz was a weapon against Dak, and now this guy's traded. Yeah, you know, I also think fans look at the quarterback position incorrectly. Everybody takes the three or four best guys in the league, right? So they take, you know, Mahomes and Wilson and Aaron Rodgers and, you know, a few others. Well, Brady, talent-wise, may not be one of the four best, but he certainly just won a Super Bowl, so we'll throw him in there, right? And everybody says, well, your quarterback isn't that. But most of them aren't. Here's the thing. You need to have a very good quarterback. If you're lucky to get a generational quarterback, there's only a handful of them. So they'll look at a guy and say, well, he's not that. But that doesn't mean he can't win a Super Bowl, right? I mean, you can still win a Super Bowl without a guy that's a Hall of Famer. So, Fans don't look at it that way, though. You're right. I mean, Nick Bowles won a Super Bowl. Brad Johnson won a Super Bowl. Um, Trent Dilfer won a Super Bowl. Right. So, 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 you know, your point before, like, when you're talking about Dak, right? You have fans that always say, well, you know, Dak isn't Russell Wilson. Maybe not. But 
that doesn't mean you can't win a Super Bowl with Dak Prescott. I mean, there's you can do a lot worse at quarterback than him. And, and we see that by what's going on in the league right now. I mean, Carson Wentz was a disaster last year, but yet somebody's still willing to give up a third, but perhaps a first. Fans, you know what happens? Fans really tend to undervalue leadership at the quarterback position. They like to see the strong arm, the crazy mobility, the sidearm throws, the no-look throws, and they try to equate that to the, the quarterback's value to the team and to the league and the possible – um, the possibility of winning a Super Bowl, but they just don't look at the intangible things. And if there's anything that was learned in this past Super Bowl is that those things matter a heck of a lot more than people want to admit. Um, if you talk to and you hear any of the interviews uh, with the rest of the players, not named Tom Brady on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the way he carried himself in that organization in just one year brought everyone's game to another level. And football is the ultimate team sport. I've been trying to get this across to people for a while. They just don't want to listen. They want to talk about arm talent. Well, sure. It, 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 we're, we're, we're a society, a sports society, at least. We're addicted to stats, right? We, we are. I mean, I mean, how many yards passing? I, maybe that's a product of the fantasy sports world. I don't know. Uh, I'm a baseball guy like you, and you know, it, baseball tends to lend itself to stats. But still, fans are just addicted to stats. And you, you being a Yankee fan, you know, people never who outside of Yankee fans truly appreciated Derek Jeter because mm-hmm. while he was a 300 hitter, he didn't blow you away with 40 homers or anything like that. Um, but he was a winner, right? He he led the Yankees. The Yankees, you know, fell in line behind Jeter and. I kind of, and it's the intangible things. It's diving into the crowd and busting his face open. It's being in foul territory where you have no business being and relaying a throw to Posada to make a tag. And it's all those other things that says to the guy next to him, "Man, I want to do that too. I can do that. Let me let me, let me one up him." And suddenly everyone's playing above their heads. Exactly, and and Brady did that. And I think fans need to understand with the quarterback position. Yeah, the throws are great. Yeah, obviously, you have to be able to make most of them or you have no value. I mean, you know, but assuming you're in the NFL, you can make the majority of the throws if you're a starter. It's the other things. And that and that's kind of where I say, you know, I look at the like the situation we've talked about on previous shows. I just don't see how the, the Texans are going to trade a guy like Watson. I mean, what, what are you going to get you to get fair value for him? Looking at what's happened so far with Stafford and now Wentz. I mean, Wentz led the league. I think he had the lowest yards per attempt last year of any starter that qualified or pretty close. I mean, he basically was throwing check downs. He still got, he still got two picks and one of them might be a first rounder. You look what Stafford got and he's never won anything in his life. And you look what the Rams gave up to get him. What would you have to now reasonably give up? I just don't see how Watson gets traded. I almost feel like if this doesn't happen in the next week or two weeks, it's just not going to happen. That's just how I feel about it. So we'll see. Stay tuned, though, for, for those of you that are here for that top 10 running back list. Stay tuned. Coming right up. Emil, I'm about to shock you with something that I'm about to say uh, because I've had a very strong opinion on it. Part of being um, – growing up being mature is being able to admit when you're wrong. And I think I may have been wrong, Emil, and this is going to hurt you about the paying the college football and basketball or paying the college athletes thing. Let me tell you why I feel this way. I like you, I'm a, I'm a traditionalist and I want to hold on to the things of the past. 
which is you come on, you can't, you can't pay these players. Um, these are amateur guys. Um, they're going to lose their, they're going to lose sight of what it's all about. Just the whole college football thing. And I think as I was doing that, I was just thinking purely as a fan, I obviously came into this thing as a fan of college football before I started playing it, uh, before my kids started playing it, et cetera, et cetera. But as I watch more and more where this thing is churning, how the players are treated um, and the other moves that have been made around the actual paying of the players, I hate to admit it, Amo, but this thing has turned into a bit of a minor league. I'm looking at this transfer portal where 1,500 plus players are in it. Guys are moving left and right. Um, players are getting lied to routinely by the coaches. I'm talking about the players that are on the rosters. Um, players that are getting recruited are getting double lied to by the coaches. So uh, Just too often now, what used to be a rare thing with a coach um, – saying that he's going to be somewhere and then leaving a day or two after signing day has turned into an annual event. Um, I'm sick of seeing it. And if the players have to endure these kind of things, if this is how they're going to be treated, if this is the new college football, then you know what, Emil, go ahead and start paying them. Well, I, 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 you want me to, you know, first of all, I've never been for paying them, but for, but I think to have this discussion, we need to break it down in, in this sense. Do you want me to? Do you want me to tell you the way it sh I believe the sport should be, or how it is? And if because here's what I'm saying. Let's just talk. Let's just talk, Emil, from what it is, because well, whatever uh, has been rolled out now, it, we're not going back. We're not putting. Well, then you're not going to get. The, you're not going to get the interesting, you know, uh, Johnny Cochran debate here with me because <laughs> because here's well, the problem. Fine, roll it back to what you think it should be. Well, yeah, exactly. If you if you want me to sit here and say have a debate with you, first thing I have to say is you can't have this transfer portal. If you have a transfer portal, then I'm with you because essentially you've said this is a minor league for the NFL, at least at the major level. And at that point, well, then what are we doing? You know, let's stop pretending. I'm, I'm a pragmatist at my core. Um, I don't like the transfer portal. I'm all for letting a kid leave. But I think there has to be some penalty, not penalty is probably not the right word, some deterrent to at least make a kid pause and say, Mm, do I want to sit out a year? Now I'm not. I'm. I was. I don't like being able to block colleges. In other words, I never like the idea of. Well, you can go to any school, but these ten. Well, wait a second. If the kid's leaving, he's leaving. Why should you be able to control where he goes? That said, I think the the sitting out a season was a good thing because it it made somebody say, "Hey, listen. If I'm going to make a decision, I got to make a serious decision." Now, basically, you can leave whenever you want. So. You, it's a free-for-all. It's even worse than the NFL in that sense. At least the NFL, you have a contract. So you can, right. leave, you know, you can leave when your contract's over. Or there's a penalty of right. some sort. Right. Here, you don't even have a contract. It's like you could – look at the case in point here. We'll go, go something close to my heart. The story of Brew McCoy, who I'm very happy is a Trojan. But Brew McCoy from Southern California a couple of years ago committed to USC. Then he decommitted to USC. He actually ends up going to Texas. He ends up going early because he finished high school early, if I'm remembering this correctly, and participated in the spring uh, game at Texas. He then decided he didn't want to be in Texas. He wanted to be home at his original school. 
he never played it down for Texas while, while participating in the spring game and ended up back at USC. And that's common. I'm just picking him because it came to my mind and he's a five-star player. But I mean, I mean well, USC also has Chris Steele on right. their roster who did a similar thing, went to Florida, participated in spring, decided he didn't want to be there, left. Um, I don't know. He may have even landed on Oregon's campus, certainly made them feel like he was coming there before he ends up at USC. This is all within a six-month right. period. So if we're going to have that, if that's the situation, then I guess what I'm saying is let's stop pretending I'm okay with what you're saying. I just don't think – I think where they're taking the sport, they're not going to be happy when they look back someday. The, the people that run it, I think they they're – they're taking the sport in a direction where it's going to lose, at least from a fan's perspective, a lot of what makes college football so much fun. In the South, you may not, you may always have you, – you guys are crazy down there. So you, college football will always be a big thing. But wait, before you go too much further, let me just stop you here on this and run you back on your thoughts of there being some kind of deterrent for the players transferring. What then – do you say to the people that say there's no deterrent for the coaches leaving? I don't listen because man, I've, if I've you make me you, commissioner for yeah, if you make me commissioner for a day, I'll change that too. I I Ow. hate the coach thing. I the Matt Campbell right at Iowa State. Would he just sign a ten year deal? Okay, let's be honest here. Iowa State's got a good team coming back this year, so that's fine. Uh, he'll coach there. Now let's pretend. Let's play this out. Let's pretend that after this season. For some reason, let's let's say he craps out because because Helton's on a roll right now. But let's say he craps out and USC fires. They fire Helton, and they call Matt Campbell at Iowa State. I'm telling you right now, he's leaving Iowa State. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know it, and I know it. You, yeah, we've seen this before. <laughs> we've seen this movie. What specifically would you do, Emil, to? Stop coaches from moving. I, I would put I would put some sort of language. And again, we, I mean, you're asking me this in a show in two minutes, but there's some way you have to make a rule. And when a coach signs a contract, he has to stay for a certain percentage of the contract. So kids can't be led astray. In other words, you sign a 10 year deal. Maybe you have a 75 percent rule within the NCAA. You've got to stay for 75 percent of that contract unless you get an offer that's X percentage over in salary. So in other words, Matt, you're making five, you know. I think that'll just start happening. Well, but no, because all these colleges are not Alabama where they'll pay their coach 10 million a year. So if you made it, like, onerous, in other words, okay, Matt, you're making five million a year, you have to make a 50% raise. Well, not every school is going to pay a football coach $7.5 million a year, in my example. So what I'm trying to say is there'd have to be something where the coach is going to say, well, listen, you can't stop me from making more money. Fair enough, fair enough. But it has to be enough that it's a lot more. Otherwise, stop signing these silly eight and ten year deals. Sign normal contracts. Like, hey, would you uh, would you aim or throw that also on the assistants? Because that's the biggest problem. It's the assistants. Well, the the problem with assistants is I think again they have to be making more money or improving their their lot in life. In other words, you're the offensive coordinator. You can't stop a guy from becoming a head coach. But what I don't want to see is a guy who's an offensive coordinator at Miami making four hundred thousand dollars a year make a lateral move to Florida State to make four hundred twenty five thousand dollars a year. Because when they start doing that kind of stuff, yeah, that's not fair to the kids. I, I see your point. It's a it's a complicated matter, but I'm with you on the coaches. I and that's why I'm saying. Either we, we tear the whole thing down and build it back up correctly, 
or I have no problem then agreeing with you because the, the thing's out of control at this point. Coach, they go sign these deals so they can go to a recruit, and the kid's 17 years old. Maybe he doesn't have great parents who can say they're full of crap, son. Um, and, and they say, hey. Well, you literally, Amo would have to say that about all of them. Well. You don't have to be a great parent at this point. If you just take that position that they're all full of it, You'd be right a large portion of the time. Well, let's 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 do, look what they do though. The window dressing is they go in and say, "Hey, I just signed a ten-year contract. I'm not going anywhere." That's bull. Listen, make the contracts limit them four years, five years max, and then and then if you know because then at least if it's a four-year deal, it's realistic. The kid knows, hey, if I uh, you're two years into a four-year deal. You might not be here in two years, and at least you go in there with, with open eyes because it's factual. The coach is in in the second year of a four year contract. But when they when they go in and say, "Listen, I just signed a ten year deal," they're convincing. That's what these guys do for a living. They sell they sell themselves to seventeen year olds. You got Nick Saban sitting there saying, "I'm going to be here till I fall over dead." <laughs> mm. I mean. I mean, so far he's held true. To that. He has. He can't play Nick. <laughs> he's not a part of this. But you know what I'm saying. I mean, these guys, that's what they do for a living. They're good at selling themselves. So when they go in with that eight-year deal, they say, hey, I just signed an eight-year contract. And the kid goes, oh, yeah, Coach Wilson just signed an eight-year contract. He isn't going anywhere until next year when he does. <laughs> I'm going to tie a couple of things in here. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to listen. If you listen to this show, you're going to get tired of hearing me talk about the greatness that is Nick Saban in Alabama. But one of the great things that Nick Saban does that's kind of unique to him is that, yes, everyone sees the kind of turnover he has on his uh, athletics, on his coaching staff. What Nick Saban does is new coach. You're not coming in here with your system. There's this Alabama system that we have here, and you're going to adapt and adopt what it is we do here at Alabama to what it is you think you're going to bring to the table here. And I'm going to tell you what that does. Amel. Number one, one of the biggest problems with all the coach moving also is people always look at, oh, well, a recruit got lied to. OK, that's fine. That's a part of it. One of the bigger things that people don't really even pay attention to is that the players that are already there at the school, when that new coach comes in, there's a couple of things that goes on. First is um, if I'm better than the coach that was here before, which is why I'm hired, which is the thought process, then uh, the players that I bring in have to be better than the players that are already here. Number one. Number two is I bring in a different system. These guys that are currently on the roster don't fit the system. So there begins this almost immediate process of pushing guys out of the program, pushing guys out of starting positions, pushing guys out of, everything they have worked for, you know, when you start talking about a guy that's in his uh, redshirt junior year, senior year, redshirt senior year, guy has taken three, four years and been through whatever he's been through in the program to get to that point, only to have a new coach come in and start trying to find ways to get this kid off the field. And a lot of times it is because of the system is different. And we don't have that in Alabama. This is the system. This is the defense that we run. You guys come in, new coach, you come in here, you figure out how to get this done the way that we do it in this system. So we're not pushing any players out because after all, a player committed here 
to, yeah, a coach, but also a system. This is the kind of defense they run at Alabama. This is what I see myself playing in. Um, and this is the this is what I'm here for. This fits me, the player, my athletic talent, my skill level, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so I don't want to get in there and two, three years later, the rug is pulled out from under me because some new coach came in here and said he wants a mobile quarterback or um, he needs his defensive ends to stand up. You know, that type of deal. That's another thing that goes on that's really troubling. Okay, but let's let's loop this back to what you said. How does paying them necessarily fix this? And let, let me say what – okay. We, we I can give you an answer to that. <laughs> Go ahead. No, the answer to that is if I'm going to be jerked around in such mm-hmm. a way, then putting money in my pocket will soothe some of the burns. But you're not going to put gonna enough to matter. Let, I mean, let's pretend it's 12. It will. Listen, you can't say that, Emil, because I'm, I'm here to tell you some of these guys come from nothing. So oh. if three or $4,000 a month um, is more than what their parents make, then you know what, man, if you're going to yank me out of the lineup because I'm not a stand-up rush end or I'm not uh, an athletic linebacker where we didn't need that before – uh, you know what, three or four thousand dollars is not. But gonna, you're assuming uh, you feel better about my. You're career. assuming, first of all, you're assuming the vast majority of them would use the money for a good purpose, and some would. Of, I'm guessing being have. Oh, my, many of them will blow it. They're they're, 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 they're going to blow the money, okay? They're, mom and well, dad, mom and dad, are now, it, and then what? Then they then they went to school. They don't if they don't get to the NFL or at least get that first contract. And and they don't pay attention in school. Then they got nothing. They got to play football for a few years. They don't have a degree, and they pissed away four grand a month. Okay, so what? Ain't they had fun. Nothing. Nothing soothes my demotion to second string like a PS Five. I don't. I don't know. Oh, I yeah, just well, think uh, the Jordan Twelves will help me deal with the fact that I'm now third on the depth chart because the new guy came in and doesn't like the way that you I know what I'm getting from this conversation is. here's what I'm getting from our conversation here that this sport needs to really sit down and look at where they're at and say you know what do we want to be and are we going to fix this or are we just going to let it get because if it just keeps going you're right the natural progression is hey let's just pay them I mean it's a free-for-all transfer portal and, and then that's good because I'm a UFC fan and they're in Los Angeles. I'm sure they could figure out a way to really pay guys that are on billboards and for tickets and all that stuff. It'll help recruiting. So, hey, let's let's do it. Um, <laughs> so, so far, is that conversation happening and try to figure out who we are or what we want to be? Fat chance. They'll sit down. They'll look at the numbers. They'll check out the revenue. They'll check out the money being made off of the various contracts. And that's what they'll base everything on. And so, so long as that is good, it's good. But what happens is, Abel, and you and I have kind of talked about this a little bit with the NFL, is that there will be an underlying thing that's happening behind the scenes. And then suddenly those numbers that you care about fall off sharply. And it's very difficult, if at all, that you get. Well, you don't. There's a lot of, yeah. Boxing is it. Listen, we're, we're kind of straying here, but it's a football show and it's our show, so we can stray. That, that goes back to a debate I've been having with people since the Super Bowl ratings came out. You know, they were down 15%. And, you know, I get people who are apologists telling me, well, uh, baseball and basketball were down. And it, that's all well and good. But here's the first thing. You run a business. It'd be like, Chad, I have an Italian restaurant. You have a steak uh, steakhouse. And my Italian restaurant's down 15%. And my, my answer to that is, Chad's steakhouse is down 30 Well, all that proves is that I'm going broke less quickly than you. 
it doesn't make my business any better. Like the NFL likes to say, well, we still have the highest ratings. You're in a pandemic. People were sitting around with their thumb up their rear end on a Sunday in February, and your ratings are down 15%. You've got to wonder and say to yourself, we need to look at this and fix that trend. Because guess what? Netflix is having a banner year. So people weren't so solemn worried about the pandemic that they couldn't watch tv netflix is going crazy guess what watching porn is up 18 percent according to statistics so people weren't that downtrodden and depressed that they couldn't sit at home watching porn amal i i I think you just uncovered why the ratings are down (laughs) no (laughs) i mean at 7 p.m on super bowl sunday someone someone was watching Netflix and scrolling through the categories. I mean, I'm serious, though. You, that's your point about college football. At some point, these you don't have a problem until you do. Everybody tries to say, well, football still got the best ratings. Here's what I say. If I'm a college or pro football executive, I'm saying, okay, number one, Youth participation, and you're not going to realize, well, you know this because you're a reader, but people in South Florida might not know this. Youth participation in football is way down. Now, in places like South Florida, it's not a problem. But generally, our Karens of the world are having Colton and, and, and all the little kids, they're playing soccer and baseball and basketball because they're worried about them getting hurt. Now, as youth participation is down, what happens? The kid's not interested in the sport unless, unless dad or grandpa says, you know what? You don't have to play football, but it's a fun game to watch. Let me show you. But if that's not happening as much, guess what happens 20 years from now? You don't have a generation of kids that care about football. And that's what happened to boxing, really. I mean, sports like boxing in the 50s, boxing was like, and baseball were like one and two. Baseball is still number two in terms of value, but boxing is not even on the radar. (laughs) Emil, I'm still laughing at a potential quote from Roger Goodell at the league meeting saying BBC is the reason why the ratings were down in this year's Super Bowl. <laughs> but no, I mean, seriously, this stuff is this stuff. Listen, you love football. I know you do. Isn't this stuff bizarre the way they're trying to explain away? No, but you're dead you're you're dead on on the point that you made there about the younger generation. Yes, we all know a bunch of these kids that are playing the sport of football now or who have in the past didn't eventually become up NFL players. But if I grow up playing soccer, which for those of you out there who don't really know me, that's the sport I grew up playing it's the first sport I was introduced to was soccer then baseball then football so I grew up wanting to know what Pele was doing um I grew up wanting to know what Reggie Jackson is doing and if I wasn't really introduced to the game of football later on in my life yeah obviously I'm gonna pay attention to football but not as intently as if I you know when I started playing it now I want to know what all these other including the fringe players you know, I, I want to know what Wendell Tyler right. is doing, um, you know, whereas before I would only care about, you know, Walter Payton or whoever the top guy was. So I don't really have an actual fan there. That fan is going to want to know what the what all the soccer teams are doing in Europe over trying to find out what's, you know, um, New England's record this year. So that is 
definitely right. And and then like you know the league the league seems to always want and, and maybe co- and college football to a degree because we've talked about the bowl ratings this year. So let's tie this all together and just make it a football discussion. So we're not picking on the NFL, but everybody tries to like brush it aside and say, well, we still have the best ratings. That doesn't mean you got to look twenty years out. And I'm not trying to say I know more than these guys run in the league, but I'm saying I think they're trying to make silly excuses instead of acknowledging, hey, we have some sort of issue going on here. Because we know if youth participation stays down, the only chance we have to keep the interest in the game up is that while the kid may grow up playing soccer or baseball, he's a sports fan. And if dad and grandpa now introduce him to football, then he'll become a football fan too and and so on down the line because you don't have to have played something to love it or else we'd have no female football fans per se, because there's not any professional female football league of any, you know, I mean, I'm sure there is somewhere, but you know what I'm saying? It's not on TV every, every week, but we have tons of female football fans. You don't have to play something to, to love it. So I think the NFL is not acknowledging that they have and college football. We, they have a potential problem coming if they don't address it. Yeah. Um, and like you have pointed out, there are things that are chipping away at the attention of of the potential fan you know i I made a joke about the whole Pornhub thing but netflix all of these other uh, platforms where you could binge watch things and i don't have to watch an nfl game live i'm one of those guys um i have nfl game pass i can go by i can go during the week and watch um the majority of the games without commercials can watch the condensed version of any game that i may have missed that ended up being good I could end up not watching a game on a Sunday. I could watch Red Zone for the 1 o'clock games, go do something else at 4 o'clock, and if it turns out that there was a game out there that was really killer that I happened to miss, I could put it on NFL Game Pass during the week, watch it without commercials, and that doesn't really help the league. No, because they're trying to sell the commercials. I mean, sure, they make some money selling you that, but the commercials, that's where the eyeballs are at. And I just – I think the college football is going to have this problem – you know, tying it back to what we're saying, if they don't start looking at their sport, I mean, the bowl ratings are not going to go up the way there. No, there's no way to fix that unless you, you, you really start breaking down, remove the playoffs, you remove the playoffs, or you, you do some do things we've talked happening. about on other shows, but we, you know, we've talked about using the bulls differently. We've talked about, you know, keeping the power five out of the bulls and only in a more expanded playoff. There's a bunch of ways you could go, but right now the way the system is set up, the only people watching bowl games generally are gamblers. That's it. Yes. Yes, exactly. Or if I don't even know if the fantasy outlets allow for picking uh, players in bowl games as part of that. But if they are, then that's that's a part of it also. But, um, yeah, you're right. That's the only one who cares about the independent yeah if you're gambling on it you're watching it and a a gambler isn't even someone who's got eyeballs on the tv the whole time unless they got a ton of money on it they're doing other things they're checking the score you know i mean they're they're not a fan a lot of times they're just somebody that that has some money down on a game (laughs) wants to see what's going they're hired they're they're hired basically is what it is so all right more obviously to come on this is the more and more developments uh, come in college football and how they operate. Um, I do talk about it some uh, on my Monday podcast because it's solely re- um, you know, dedicated to college football recruiting and so on and so forth. So I've even talked some about what's going on with high school football players and how they're being recruited less because 
because of the pandemic and the dead period and the fact that the transfer portal is stuffed and overloaded and teams are more and more are going there first to, to fill a hole than they are high school, which is sad for everyone involved. But yeah, we covered that one show too ourselves. We, yeah, we did. We did. We covered that like Darrell Revis covers wide receivers. <laughs> All right. Getting off of wide receivers and defensive backs, it's time now for that top 10 NFL running backs of all time. And Amal, I'm going to tell you why this came around. Um, I coached at American Heritage High School uh, here in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Uh, many of you listen to the show regularly would know that. and We put out a tremendous amount of talent. In fact, uh, we do have an NFL running back in Sony Michelle that plays for the New England Patriots. So the, the running back coach for American Heritage, who coached Sony Michelle, um, a guy by the name of Mike Smith, just – threw out a question to me one day and said, Hey, you know, we as a staff were talking about who the top 10 running backs were in the NFL of all time. And he wanted my opinion on it. I guess their debate got kind of heavy and hot and heated. I think it kind of surrounded uh, Frank Gore because Frank Gore is, you know, moving up the list um, in terms of career rushing yards. So uh, they had a back and forth and he threw it out to me and I'm like, come on, top 10 running backs of all time. You know, that's, that's easy. Of course it's this. And then I started trying to put that list together, Emil, and it got difficult. It got really, really difficult. So you can tell the you can tell the listeners how you felt when I threw that. In yeah, your I mean, I was I was at first thought, oh, you know, I you know I could probably spit this off the top of my head, but I'll I'll do it. I'll do I'll I'll do some study, and you know, when I give you my list, I'm gonna you know that when we're all done, I'm gonna tell you guys because people won't realize guys that didn't make my list, and you're gonna say, "How did you leave them off the list?" And I'm gonna be like, "Well, I only, I only right. got ten. That's why." Um, so, you know, I mean, I, I'll tell you when I made my list, I did give some uh, preference. Uh, I, I think you know the same way we look at statistics today. I think I give more credence to to rushing yards, believe it or not from older guys. And I'll tell you why I think it was harder to run the ball. Mm. The passing game was not mm. as prevalent. You, you saw a lot of eight man boxes, especially up through the seventies and early eighties, because you just didn't have the prolific right. pass offenses. Running the ball was the way you matriculated down the field as the old co- Kansas city coach sure. Hank Stram said. Um, the, yeah, there weren't there as many, were as many options. So running the ball back then was even more difficult. I think than it is today. Now you had more attempts, of course, but today, with these spread offenses, you can hand the ball to a guy, and he'll get six yards because they don't have they have two linebackers in the game. They're playing all. I mean, so, right. yeah. so I mean, it's a different yeah. game. So I, I put some, I gave some extra points to guys who played in older eras. If I was confused, you know, if I said, "Oh, who do I?" You know, I tried, I tried to do it that way, but still, I struggled and. Uh, with making this list. I don't know how you want to do it. Do you want to go 10 through one? Do you want to do all? Or, like, how do you want to do this? Uh, we could do 10 through one. But before we get into that, I will say this. This was an easier thing, I feel like, when we were younger, almost when I was a kid. And they ask you the top running backs of all time, you easily can spit it out. Oh, Jim Brown, uh, Gail Sayers, you would even say, Walter Payton, Franco Harris. You know, these are guys running the ball. But now, these running backs that have come through over the years can do so many things. Um, Chad, that that's called get getting older. You you have more, more people. people, right? <laughs> true, true, true. I mean, well, we weren't the first people here on earth, too, by the way. Um, though it may seem like that on certain days. Well, listen, Emil, this is the things that went into 
me trying to figure out who I felt like the top guys were. Total rushing yards, obviously. And I do, like you, give credence to that for many of the reasons that you said. It's harder to run the football. Um, offensive linemen were 250 and 60 pounds at the time. Um, you did have stack and loaded boxes. No one really pushed the ball down the field like that. So those guys had it tougher getting that ball down the field off of a handoff. That's number one. Number two, yards per carry means something to me. Um, uh, I don't want to toss a guy up near or top of the list or include him on the list if he got 400 carries a year. Um, but he averaged 3.8 yards or 3.7 yards per, for his career. You know, yards per carry is an important stat for me um, and I think for most. Um, number of 1,000-yard seasons. Um, that might kind of cut out some of the guys who just played for an extremely long time. Um, you just happen to pile up yards just by being here. So you, you piece together a bunch of six and 700-yard seasons, and somehow you end up on the list. You didn't really have great sure. years, you know what I mean? So uh, um, years of service. Obviously, um, I can't have a guy who was only around for you. Well, you can't stay in that uh, league. That's the other thing. If you had years of service at that position, the NFL is not a place where they give you, they give you lifetime achievement awards. If you, if you're not good, they won't keep you. Mm -hmm. So you still have to be able to do something. <laughs> True. Um, two guys. And I'm just going to give a little preview to my list that kind of fell victim to that is, um, you know, a guy I played with Terrell Davis, mm -hmm. had some great years, just not long enough. Did make the hall of fame sure. rightfully. So had some great years. Um, and Gail Sayers, who we all grew up with watching him do amazing things on the field, but, his career, his career in terms of greatness was obviously uh, cut short. Because listen, I could give so. when, we're, when my list is done. I mean, the, the guys I've 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 left off the list. I feel bad about. Not that they care, but <laughs> you're gonna have a damn good I, I, didn't make it right. The list. I really do. <laughs> um, and then final actual ability. What my eyes showed me, um, you know, is gonna be part of this for me too as well. And then total skills, sure, Run, catch, block. And block is a big thing. Block is a big thing. People don't realize that. A lot of fans will will kind of just not pay attention to that. But when you see guys get taken off the field on third down, a lot of times it's because they can't block or catch. <laughs> There's a guy on my list that I think was the best of everyone in terms of doing all three of those. Oh, things. So mine too. We'll talk about that. <laughs> so we'll go. So, well, I, I think we're going to end up with the mm -hmm. same person there. And, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, maybe our younger audience won't know what the hell we're talking about. But anyway, um, let's start with our 10. So you give yours. I give OK, we'll go up the list. OK, kind of, and you may have this guy higher just because, you, you know, he's a you guy. But I have Frank Gore at 10. And the reason I have him at 10 is I can't get past the fact that this guy's got 16,000 yards. There's no way I can leave this guy off my list. So there's some guys that a lot mm -hmm. of people are going to get done with this list. Say how the hell do you put Frank Gore on your list and not blah, blah, blah. And it's because Frank Gore, mm. 16,000 yards prior to his knee injury, the guy was dynamic and still to get 16,000 yards uh, and play as long as he did, you, you can't just be average. I mean, you gotta be really, really good or you wouldn't be, like I said, they just don't keep you in this league. And uh, so I have Frank Gore with mm. the 16,000 yards at number 10. Number 10 for me, Emil is Curtis Martin. Um, you know, not his name doesn't come up very often with great running backs, but 10 out of his 11 seasons were thousand yard seasons. Um, he had on top of it, he was better out of the backfield. And I remember him being, he had nine 40 plus catch seasons. 
Um, on top of that, five double-digit TD seasons. Played for the New York Jets, so I should, you know, even just give him more points just for that. But Curtis Martin's production kind of surprised me because I didn't pay that much attention to Curtis Martin. He wasn't um, a slasher or a dasher, wasn't an elite speed runaway from guys, wasn't a bulldozer, wasn't any of those physical things, but really, really produced. And when you play 11 seasons and 10 of them, you cranked out 1,000-yard th- seasons and you score touchdowns like you did, I I would feel really, really bad leaving Curtis Martin off of that list. So he's okay. my number two. Preview, I left him off my list, and I agree with everything you just said. So, again, going back to what I said, by the way, sixth all-time in rushing with 14,000 yards. But uh, yes. I left him off my list and felt bad about doing it. But there were some others that when I caught my list, I think I could give you logic as to why I had to do it. Okay? And you're going to laugh sure. at me now, my number nine. You're going to say, but, but, but this guy was 10th on the all-time list. And my eyes tell me he was a top 10 player was Tony Dorsett. Tony Dorsett. Hi, hi. I knew, I, I, I knew Dorsett would make it. Heisman trophy winner, <laughs> uh, 10th on the all time list. And if you are old our age or care to do some research, uh, the Dallas Cowboys prior to getting Dorsett had lost in 1976 in the playoffs. They were 12 and two. They had one of the, I think they had the best record in the NFC, but they lost. And the one thing they were missing was a running back. And Dorsett had won the Heisman at Pittsburgh. And back in those days, somehow, the Cowboys, who were the Patriots of the day, figured out how to get the Seattle Seahawks pick in the 1977 draft. And they took Heisman Trophy winner Tony Dorsett out of the University of Pittsburgh. The rest is history. They went on to win the Super Bowl that year. They ended up winning the NFC Championship the next year and lost to the Steelers in the Super Bowl. Dorsett was a difference maker. So I have him. Yeah, no I have that number nine. Yeah, My no eyes tell me that. Good. Good. No question about that. All right. Um, number nine for me is a guy that's still playing, Adrian Peterson. Um, 15 seasons, 8,000-yard seasons, two five-plus-yard um, per carry seasons, including a six-yard per carry season. It's only, I think, three guys who have ever done anything like that. And I think he's the one that has come the closest to the single season rushing record with 2097. You know, I'm a big Eric Dickerson fan. So I was, I literally watched that whole game um, rooting against this guy, breaking the record, obviously. Um, And he damn near did it. Um, Eight double digit touchdown seasons and six 70 plus yard runs. Emil, I think it was a couple of years ago in his thirties, he had a 90 yard run. Um, Adrian Peterson. And then obviously when you're talking about the, just looking at it yourself, he could run you over. He could leave you. Um, he could cut on you. Um, he's everything you want a running back to be. If you were coaching a young guy, um, and trying to turn him into one, you'd show him some, you know, prime Adrian Peterson. So I totally agree with you. And I think you personally, I think you may even have him a little too low, but we'll see. So, no, I, I, I like I like Peterson. Yep. Um, number eight for me, moving along, is a guy that a lot of people may say, how'd you get this guy on your list? I mean, we knew he was good, but Marshall Falk. Um, 12th on the all-time rushing list, okay? 12,000-some-odd yards. But here's the thing. This guy had almost 7,000 yards receiving. Okay. Um, so, you know, you combine those two. This guy, this guy basically rushing and receiving almost had 20,000 yards. In 12 seasons. And, that, you know, let that let that sit there. 
sit there and think about it for a minute. Okay. He had 6,000 yard seasons. Uh, so, I mean, to me, this guy, he had a thousand yard receiving season the year that the, the that the, the Rams won the Super Bowl in 99. So for me, this guy was like a Swiss army knife. He could do it all. And, uh, you know, for those who didn't see him play, you should really go watch some film of this guy. He was pretty dynamic. Yeah, um, you'd have to be a bit of a youngster, uh, which we will have some listen on this podcast to to not know that. Now, there's a guy, Emil, I think you might have a little too low on your list, not to okay. get anything away from me. The next, the next guy on my list sitting at number eight is going to um, probably blow some people away, um, and it's going to probably require some explanation, especially – when you realize he's number 21 on the list, but let me, allow me to tell you why he's there. And he's also someone that um, has been vilified. You kind of get an idea of who I'm talking about, but it's OJ Simpson. Oh, he I'm was a tell real you slasher. Why OJ Simpson is there. I've got, oh man, you couldn't help yourself. Couldn't you? <laughs> um, engineer. And there I go using the word cut. Everything is just a bad word when you talk about O.J. Simpson. But listen, I give I tend to give credence and uh, to people in sports that were first to do things, because um, having played sports and coached it, a lot of times things are locked, and then there's someone that comes along and unlocks it and makes you feel like this is actually possible. So I give big I give big credence to OJ Simpson for being that first guy to have a two thousand yard rushing season because before he did that it was just well, wait and also of. wait let's put it and in Emily, context because I agree with what you're saying OJ played on a team that honestly the Buffalo Bills back in the day they were terrible. not they were not good they couldn't terrible. throw the ball they played in Buffalo back then passing was even more difficult because the teams didn't pass and they played so, in Buffalo. He, he was the team. He was the, he team. Was the team. And here's the thing. He was Gale Sayers after Gale Sayers, only he played longer. He had the, the Gale Sayers type yeah. moves. And I would encourage anyone, if you go up with YouTube anymore, you can find this stuff. Go and find his run in the 67 USC-UCLA game. One versus two, in the, and they were uh, USC 120-120. He made this dynamic run. I think it was six. Use the, the whole field. field. I mean, it was 65 yards and uh, – he tells a great story. I mean, I know it's hard when you t- when talk about a guy who has been vilified, but but he had a great story once and uh, got in the huddle. He said the crowd was saying, we are SC. And he said, I huddle and I said, damn it, we are SC. <laughs> and, and that was, you know, <laughs> and, you know, yeah. OJ Simpson was, I agree with you. OJ Simpson was fantastic. A 2,000-yard season back, Emil, when they played 14 games. And he played on a Bills team that was terrible. He was the only thing that was there. So every week you go in with the thought of, we've got to stop O.J. Simpson. We've got to stop number 32, and he'd still go wild on you. So 11 seasons. Um, He had three five-yard per carry seasons. And again, this is with everyone knowing you need to stop him. One of those seasons was a six-yard per carry season. One of the handful of guys who – ever been able to do that um 470 yard touchdown runs you know back then they didn't throw the football so he never really had a year where he caught more than 40 balls but i'm sure if he would if you wanted to throw swing passes and screens to oj simpson he would have he would have done that much more damage just people didn't think about doing that back then so he makes uh, very good very good number number seven for me and i said to you earlier and i I struggle maybe even putting him higher but i try to try to give credence again to the older guys based on what we said. But number seven for me was Adrian Peterson. And I won't re- 
go through everything you already covered them pretty good. But um, I, I was thinking about putting them even higher, but, but I, I have some guys above them that I just, I can't slide them below them. But Adrian Peterson, man, what, what a running back. Yeah. Emil, you're going to want to fight me over number seven. Um, but you know, it is what it is. I'll explain it some, and it's the all time rushing leader, Emmett Smith. Uh, and I'm going to explain why he's this slow on the list for me. Um, Emmett, if there was a crime for Emmett is that he wasn't, he didn't do anything spectacularly. Wasn't exactly a speedster. Uh, wasn't a bulldozer. Wasn't a hard cutter. Wasn't a slasher. Um, I, he's where he is on that list for a couple of reasons. Obviously you got to have the durability. So that's a credit to him. Um, two, he was on a very good football team that, you know, how we were talking about OJ Simpson being the only thing. Emmett wasn't the only thing on the Cowboys. You had Troy Aikman, you had um, Michael Irvin, you had Jay Novacek. And you, you had, had that Alvin offensive line, the great wall of Dallas. <laughs> yeah. And, yes. And you had that offensive line plus a defense that would get the ball back for you. So I hate to penalize Emmett for that because Emmett Amel has been great wherever he's gone. Escambia High School mm-hmm. in Pensacola, for you folks that are listening here from Florida, he was uh, an all-time great there. He goes to Florida, an all-time great at Florida. Uh, he goes to Dallas, uh, the all-time great in terms of rushing yards for the Cowboys. But I's telling me that there are other guys on this list, I think, if they had that kind of durability, that would have done or come awfully close to what Emmett did in terms of career. Well, I'm not going to fight you on it because your logic is, is totally sound. And I, I, I think the durability, though, is underrated because to take that pounding says something about your heart and 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 your, the way you take care of your body and you're right his ceiling was lower in terms of speed and things you mentioned his ceiling was lower but guess what his floor was higher Emmett didn't do anything poorly he was yeah. a, a very good blocker and sure. I'll tell you what's underrated with Emmett for any of your uh the running backs coaches out there listening to this tell me I'm wrong he had phenomenal vision Emmett, Emmett, Emmett had tremendous, yes. which is underrated for running backs. He saw the, the holes and the cutbacks where a lot of guys would take a, a, a play and they'd leave yards on the field. I always felt like Emmett got the most out of a run. If there were six yards to be had there, Emmett got you six or seven. He didn't turn it into four. You know what I've found, Emil, um, strangely, and I don't want to get too technical about it, the slower guys tend to have – which is underrated don't maybe you think it's underrated fast. yeah maybe stuff's not happening as fast for them um so they have just that little fraction of a second to react better than a guy that's moving at 100 miles an hour and i guess it's you know me driving through traffic at 50 miles an hour and you driving through traffic at 100 miles an hour i'm probably going to make some better decisions well right and then don't you think that 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 speed is to a running back with arm strength is to a quarterback fans like to know what their 40 time is but guess what being able to set up your blocks knowing where the holes are knowing where to take the ball on a on a specific play is just as important as being really fast and really big probably more important yeah unfortunately emmett's almost like um, a floyd mayweather yeah. to me yeah, good analogy. Okay, so we, Emmett, yeah. Emmett's at seven for you. Now we're up to number six for me, and uh, this is your guy, and my, my eye test just tells me that this guy has to be this high on the list, maybe even higher, but I have Eric Dickerson. Um, I watched Eric Dickerson, and I think it was – I'm going to go dial him back here, but you know I have a good memory. I'm going to say it was 1985. I watched him do the Cowboys mm-hmm. in a playoff game in Texas, old Texas Stadium. 
And uh, you can go look it up. I'm mm-hmm. sure he had over 200 yards that day. Oh, yo, Chad, Chad yeah. does not need to look it up. He can probably yeah, remember. Yeah, I watched there. him do the Cowboys that day, and I don't know who the quarterback for the Rams was. I forget, but it wasn't a good quarter. It wasn't like it wasn't like the Cowboys have much to worry about besides Dickerson, and it didn't matter. They couldn't stop him. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff Kemp, who's um, right, right. Was he the quarterback? <laughs> Might have been. Yeah, Might as well have been me because all they did was turn around and hand the yeah. ball to him. <laughs> and, and Eric Dickerson, if, you, if, if you're if you young and you have not seen film of Eric Dickerson with his goggles on under his helmet, uh, he was with the SMU Pony Express. He was getting bags of cash in college. Good for him. And uh, <laughs> then he took a pay cut. And, we'll ne- and you know what? You know why he's an all-star? He has never, ever. Nope admitted to or gave any kind of indication that that might. Oh, happen. no, the Italians want him. Trust me, he's, he'd be <laughs> he'd be in the mafia. Listen, absolutely. But this absolutely. guy took a pay cut to go to the Rams, and he was spectacular. Yeah, you want to know what's the funny thing about that? Is that all these other guys have come out and said they were paid at SMU, but there's Eric, the best not me. who's ever put on that uniform. So nope, not me. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable, but um, yeah, obviously he's higher on my list, but um, yeah, he's po- he was poetry in motion. Um, there was a whole legion of kids my age playing little league, um, who who had on neck rolls for no reason, um, and some who even tried to wear Rick specs when they didn't need glasses. Um, and we had yeah. the Eric Dickerson helmets, and they all wanted to yeah. look and run like Eric. So yes. Totally understand it. Um, number six for me is a guy you have on your list that's a little lower. It's Marshall Falk. Um, Twelve seasons in the NFL. Things really. He was great for the Colts. He really took off for the Rams. And I'm struck with thinking, what if all the years were with with the Rams the way they were at the time that he got there? If I'm just thinking fantasy wise, if he'd arrived as a rookie on the Rams with Kurt Warner and, and Mike Martz and that whole deal, if he had been oh. able to do, you know, nine or 10 seasons, what he would have been able to do was amazing. Um, a guy I played against um, in college, he was great from day one. I played against him as a, uh, as a, when I was a freshman, he was a freshman. Um, and he was spectacular for San Diego state then, but in the league, seven, 1000 yard seasons, three, five yard per carry seasons, 12 Amel. 12 every year he was in the league yeah more than 40 balls he had he had five of this now listen we've got receivers out here now crying about getting the ball and targeted etc this guy in running back had five oh i could easily i could easily have put him i could easily have put him higher here's you know i'm a geek like this so i have to point this out i always was okay two great running backs on our list right marshall falk began his career with the colts ended it with the rams Conversely, Eric Dickerson began his career with the Rams and ended it essentially with the Colts. Yeah, yeah, but they were traded. They were traded to those teams. I always find the I always find those like kind of reverse relationships interesting. Each team traded an all time great running back in the other direction. Exactly, exactly. So, um, production wise, Marshall Falk was it. Um, And if you came into the game saying we got to start stop Falk. He just had too many ways that he could beat you, on top of the fact that he had some other greats around him. Um, they, one of the things, though, Emil, it kept me from putting him higher on the list is just that pure running thing that we talked about. Um, is this, He had all these opportunities that the, the guys before him 
didn't. Well, really right. And I would have put him higher. I would have put him higher only because one thing I penalize him for, and it's not even right, but uh, I didn't feel like he was a guy in, in a different offense you could close a game out with. I felt like he felt in an offense, he fit sure. in that offense. And that, that's not a penalty to him. I just felt like conversely to a guy like Emmett Smith, let's say, Emmett, you gave him the ball. Everybody in the stadium knew they were going to run the ball three times. He still got you the 10 yards and moved the sticks. I'm yeah. not sure Falk is that guy. But that's okay. Yeah. That's all. It's the only reason yeah. I penalized him a little yeah. bit for it. Not fair. I know. Sure. All right. Number five, we're, we don't have to cover. Five, we, we hit it extensively. Play. I have him higher than you even. I have OJ because I felt everything you said, and I and I, I saw the tail end of his career as a little kid. I'm, I'm, I'm four years older than Chad, so I got to see OJ. You know, I was eight years old at 76, so I still saw OJ before he got traded away to the 49ers and basically was a shell of himself at the end. But uh, OJ was unbelievable. I mean, like, to me, everything we said – I'm I'm actually a little stunned, Emil. Um, I probably shouldn't be. I know you're a USC fan, but I I when I wanted uh-huh. to put him in this list and saw he's 21 all time on the rushing list, I felt like, man, am I doing? We didn't here? talk about this, by the way. Chad and I laugh a lot. We do stuff like this. We we didn't, didn't we do it. Him. We come up with a lot of the same stuff. Yeah, I was running through my list and, you know, listening to yours, and I'm like, okay, well, he left OJ off the list, so I must be – I'm probably crazy for having him on my list. And here you are. Well, you because of all the things you covered. I mean, the guy the guy changed the position as far as I'm concerned. I mean, he was the Gale Sayers that had a longer career. Gale Sayers would probably be on this list. I didn't get to see him play live. I had to do a lot of my Gale Sayers watching from old NFL film, and he was phenomenal, but – he didn't have a long enough career due to injuries. Otherwise, he's probably on my list. And there's some Bears fans out there who are probably saying, how do you leave off Gale Well, only because I feel bad leaving him off. But OJ, to me, was a guy that had a long enough career, broke the 2,000-yard barrier, and was everything. You know, anybody older than us that saw OJ live at USC, they'll tell you that OJ belongs on this list, regardless of his personal life. Yeah, no, no question about it. Okay, number five on the list for me is who I feel is the most productive back that's ever played this game. And I had a little bit of a problem jostling between who number four and number five was on this list. But I, as I went through and looked at it, and I'm ash- almost ashamed I didn't pay more, even more attention to his career. But he was on a team that um, was just not in the limelight at the time that he played, but it's Ladanian – Tomlinson, who, by the way, I ended up going to the NFL Hall of Fame um, induction ceremony that he was a part of. I was invited by Ray Lewis. He went in the same year as Ray Lewis. So, you know, I started to think more about what it is LaDainian Tomlinson actually did on the field. But I'm like, don't think there was a more in totality productive back than LaDainian Tomlinson. 11 seasons, two five-yard per carry seasons, seven 1,000-yard seasons, um, three 100-yard-per-game seasons, 10 40-plus catch seasons. We talk a lot about um, what Marshall Falk did out of the backfield. LaDainian Tomlinson had a 100-catch season as a running back. Eat your heart out, wide receivers that are out there. Nine out of his 11 seasons, he was in double digits in TDs. He had a 31 TD season, 31 touchdowns i i tell you what i i'll 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 give you a sneak peek like i told you martin i left him off my list and i struggled mightily i have white out on my list i had him on there at 10 and i went back and forth back and forth between gore and him Mm -hmm. back and forth and i 
uh, you know, I, I, I was like, oh, man, I mean, you know, like you see, like you're saying, all the things you measured on him, I was like, yeah, I mean, I can't deny any of that stuff. But maybe it was because of the team he played on. I don't know. But then I said, look, it's 2020, and Frank Gore is still playing football. I can't leave him off the list. And I look, and the guy's sitting there at number three, 16,000 yards. So I put him in a 10. But he, he was like my number 10, 11. So I, I, he didn't make my list. And I, I feel bad about that because he's a guy that I, I really, you know, he's a guy who should be on a list. Yeah, uh, when you look at the numbers, not a more productive. Yeah, I know. I, well, I'm telling you how I did it. I mean, I actually <laughs> struggled to. I I didn't want to leave him off the list, and I probably maybe I should have put him at ten instead of Gore. I don't know. All right, sliding to number three. Number four, you covered extensively. I've got Emmett Smith. It's hard for me to drop the NFL's all-time rushing leader anywhere below, you know, top four on the list. Um, all the things you said, 100% agree with, but I, I just think there has to be something there for a guy that did nothing poorly on him. The guy was did everything well on a football field. He may not have been uh, Eric Dickerson's speed or, or the size of an, of a, of a, of a, another back, but this is a guy that didn't do anything poorly on a football field. And when you can run the football for 18,000-plus yards in the NFL, uh, and have the seasons he did, 1,000-yard seasons into his 30s. Um, to me, he's number four. Yeah, um, and when I looked at Emmett, uh, his production late in his career. Oh, yeah, I mean, that's that's what I like. Um, I mean, there's a yeah, guy that, that even, that you know, him. when he played, you know, at the end of his career in Dallas when they had nothing. I remember this is after Aikman and Irvin had retired. I mean, they were playing with, like, I, I forget some of the quarterbacks. I mean, Clint Stoner lined up. I mean, that that those teams with Dave Campo, when Emmett finally broke the rushing record, the only thing to watch on the Cowboys, those three, five, and 11 years, three back-to-back, five, and 11 years, was Emmett Smith. I mean. I got I to gotta ask you this, though. How hard was it for you to watch Emmett in a Cardinals uniform. How bizarre. Uh, you know, I was kind of pissed at him for a while. I mean, I'm not pissed. I love Emmett, but I wanted him to just quit. You know, and it's hard because it's not, it's his career, not mine, right? I'm a fan. And as a fan, I said, just, you know, I knew he was done. You know, I said, you're not going to do anything in Arizona. We all, anybody watching football at the time knew that. And I wanted him to quit. And then he came back to Texas Stadium and Roy Williams, the, the safety, not the wide receiver, <laughs> um, yeah. a broke his shoulder, I think, his clavicle or something. I mean, he just – Roy Williams couldn't cover you right now if you got off your couch, but he could hit. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was yeah. that was the book on Roy. Yeah, like he could hit. And, like, man, did he lay Emmett out in Texas Stadium. And, uh, uh, you know, that was probably – I think that was his last year in the league. He played two years with the Cardinals. I hated it. It was terrible. I didn't like watching it. Yeah. Yeah. Number four on my list was, uh, and the running back coach for Heritage, uh, Mike Smith, said, go ahead and put him number one. We know how much you love him. But I'm uh, I'm an objective guy here, and it is Eric Dickerson, my all-time favorite. Um, the guy who was in his heyday at the time that I was playing running back growing up, et cetera, et cetera. On top of that, I was a, a, a Los Angeles Rams fan from the word go, and they finally got this running back there. So. Um, Able to watch him, he was poetry in motion. Smooth as as Stuart Scott would say, yep. the other side of the pillow. Um, effortless, cuts, vision, will run you over. Um, 
six three with sprinter speed, just awesome in all. When he ran, I almost and, felt like it sounds weird, but I almost felt like he ran like he was floating or something. Like he would run, and I just remember feeling like, yeah. is this is this guy? Are his feet touching the ground? Because he he was just a long strider. Remember how you get in the open field, gliding, yes. gliding, gliding, and yeah, and to me he was just. Um, out of this world fast until Daryl Green went and got him one day. I was like, what? Um, but but Eric Dickerson is the reason why I'm not a Ram fan anymore. And I tell people this story all the time. October 31st, 1987, the Rams traded Eric Dickerson away to the Indianapolis Colts. And for this younger generation, they're going to be blown away by this. But the single-season career rushing record holder wanted a million dollars a year, and the Rams didn't want to give it to him. So they traded him away to the Colts, and I just said, to hell with all this. I'm not rooting for that. So and That was so Rosenblum, by the way, who was the owner of the Rams. That was so oh, Rosenblum. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> big, big, yeah. Big-time cheapskate and just, you know, was the reason for a lot of heartache for me. But, Emil, had Eric Dickerson stayed with the Los Angeles Rams, I think – Everyone is chasing him right now, probably. Or Emmett would have had to pass him. To well, yeah, the Rams were the top. Rams were still a good um, football right. team at the time, and 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 they were still getting far. Like in the playoffs, those those years in the late '80s, they were still a playoff caliber team. the The Colts were god awful. Um, so, mm. yeah, and they love to run the football. Yeah. John Robinson, someone you know quite well. Um, he had 1,808 yards as a rookie, followed that up with the, what still stands as the all-time single-season rushing record of 2,105 yards and um, probably would have piled yards up to the oblivion and had they not made oh, that yeah. fatal error. Yep, yep, yep. that's good. That's good. I, I'm, I'm with you. And again, he's another guy. One through three. One through three is a okay. Number number three for me is is uh, Barry Sanders. This is a guy who – yeah. Why? Wow. Wow. I'm I'm just surprised. I'm 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 trying to think who. Barry Sanders is a guy who played for a franchise that got two Hall of Famers, Sanders and and, and Megatron, to say screw it in the middle of their careers. Don't, don't <laughs> I'm done. Me, Do you know how bad you have to be as a franchise? I'm sorry for the Lion fans out there. If there's if there's a couple of you, but. Do you know how bad you have to be to get two guys in their prime essentially to say this sucks so bad? I just want to go. Play golf. <laughs> Listen, I'm gonna I, I'm gonna add to this. They've had the best cutting and physical specimen of a runner running back in all time. They had the best physical specimen as a wide receiver, and they had one of the strongest arm quarterbacks of all time. And all three of them have said, "That's it. Move the hell That's on. it. That's the Lions for you." Okay, um, but you know this guy to me, you know. And I hate doing this because I, I don't want to be unfair to my guy Emmett. But you know, I think about Sanders. You put him on those Cowboy teams in the nineties. He's got to have twenty thousand yards when he quits. I mean, now maybe that's yeah. not right because I again, I'm not uh, different schemes and everything. But I gotta believe if you got the yardage that Barry Sanders got, he quit early. He had fifteen thousand two hundred sixty nine rushing yards. I think he quit when he was thirty one or something like that. I forget the exact age, but he had tread left on the tire and he did this in Detroit. If you put him on those cowboy teams in the nineties, I got to think this guy ends up with 20,000 yards easy. Yeah, no, no. Uh, listen, that's yeah. an eye test one right there. So you won't get me to argue again, other than to say 
Um, he's not number three on my list, so I think you probably have him too low. But um, for number three for me is the guy that I think running, catching, tackling, and sometimes Wait, I mean, can I say it when you're ready? Because I'm going to guess it. Yeah, but well, hold on. Uh-huh. Running the ball, catching the ball, blocking for other guys who didn't have the ball, tackling if you needed him to, because you know, in the early days they were throwing some interceptions. Even through the damn ball. Best all time. Best all around running back. Maybe the best all time like yes. football yes. player, you might have even said back then. Walter Payton. Go ahead and say the name. And you know why? You know why Walter I say it? Because Payton, we could tie it together. It's simple. He was number two on my list. Uh yeah, I mean, yeah, so yeah. Yeah, Walter Walter Payton for me, 13 seasons, 10 1,000 yard seasons. He had a five-yard per carry season back in the time when the, the Bears weren't that. In the 70s, the Bears weren't that. It really came around for them in, in, in the mid-80s. Um, and he did that with everyone knowing that he's the only thing on that football team. Um, and, Emil, this is the crazy part. Back then, you know, Walter Payton came in in the 70s. Six 40-yard-plus catch seasons. I mean, you just didn't really throw a ball to a running back like that. Um, so on top of the heavy rushing duties, they threw the ball to Walter to just get the ball into Walter's hands some kind of way. Um, out of those 13 seasons, seven double-digit TD seasons, he had three 70-plus yard touchdown runs. Amal, I imitated Walter's blocking because he did it. Well, let me ask you, since depth. he's number so two on my Walter list, who's Payton. your number two? Yeah. Number two on my list? Well, no, because I want to debate you. But who's your number two? Uh, Okay. And and listen, we're we're nitpicking here. Okay. So we flip-flopped our two and three. The reason I just don't understand how you could – again, I know everything. I love Barry Sanders. It's not – this is not a slight of Barry Sanders. Mm. I just don't know how, with everything you just said, you can put – Walter below Barry, because while Barry was the superior runner in terms of cutting, Walter was really close. I mean, and he just did every, I mean, the, the guy, the guy could have probably played linebacker if you asked him to. I mean, <laughs> I, 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 yeah. Uh, and, and it was a, it was a bit of a struggle. I will say this, Amo, I give credence to pure rushing ability. And I think no one, did that better than Barry Sanders? Turn around, hand the football to this man. No one mm. did it. I hear you. Than this guy, and that, so so it's one of these things where this particular person did something better than anyone else who's ever played the game. Yeah, and that I pushed. See, for me, like the two best, really the, the two best Walter football players that things. that ever played football, just football players, mm-hmm. would be Walter Payton or Jerry Rice. Mm-hmm. That's to me, just like yeah. if you say. And a lot of people from the era right before us would have the person that we, I think Correct. we have number one on the list. But before we jump into all that, before we jump into all that, though, um, just for me with Barry Sanders, no one did the things that he did. And for me in any sport, I there's two things I really hold dear in sports. Be the first person to do something because you have allowed all the others behind you to do it and do something better than anyone else has ever done it. And that was Barry Sanders carrying the football. And, and you're talking to a big-time Eric Dickerson fan. The ball in Barry Sanders' hand on a handoff from 
like, listen, I don't care. You could hate the Detroit Lions. You could have grown up a Minnesota Vikings, Chicago Bears, Green Bay Packers fan. You'll watch the Detroit Lions play someone else just to see what. Well, yeah, it was hold your breath. I mean, if you handed them the ball, if you if you were on the opposing team, you you had to hold your breath. I mean, because. Yeah, Vincent Brisby from the New England Patriots is still looking <laughs> yeah. for Barry Sanders. No, I mean, listen, it's a, that's – If you ever see that iconic um, video, he's still spinning around trying to find out where Barry Sanders is. If Yeah, someone needs to tell me he's right. retired so he can start. Right, yeah. No, listen, you, like they're that. valid points. I mean, I can't give you too hard of a time. So so we flip-flop Sanders and Peyton, you and I, and I think number one is pretty clear for both of us uh, because this – we're yeah, this guy, this guy changed. Uh, this this guy was like, if for anybody that's under the age of our our age, and we didn't see him live, but we know enough from our fathers to know about. Him. But if you're like thirty, you need to just find tape of this guy. He was like a man playing among boys, and I I say that in all seriousness. Jim Brown, okay, Jim Brown is our number one. We did not talk about this list. Anybody who watches football that gives you a running back list. And doesn't come up with Jim Brown number one, you, you got to quiz him because I don't know how you you watch Jim Brown and don't come up with him as number one. <laughs> I could understand for a generation maybe that starts and is behind us mm-hmm. putting Barry Sanders ahead of Jim Brown, maybe, maybe. But um, there are a couple of things there for me that I've already said being the first ever and being a one of a kind. And Amo, listen, someone can make the argument that, okay there weren't full-fledged Negroes weren't fully into it ingratiated into the game of football back then. Emil, I don't think it would have mattered. Whatever human being was walking the earth at Mm -hmm. the time that this man was playing, you didn't have one that was like this. Um, That's just the way that it was. And you hit it perfectly when you said um, he was a man amongst boys. Everyone he played against was his son. You could not catch up to him. If you somehow caught up to him, he would put you down, whether it's a stiff arm or run through you in the most humbling and humiliating way over and over, week after week, week after week. And you just and he was a leader, you know, for around. what's going on today. You only tie a little bit of current, current culture into this discussion. He was a leader in, in the black community. Jim Brown was, you know, uh, you know, whatever you want to at a time when sure, it was very dangerous. You know, yeah, I mean, you know, Jim Brown played at Syracuse University, uh, played at a time when in the South, you know, uh, it was it was hard. You know, black black players had a tough time and they got death threats. Uh, the, the guy that came after him, they made a movie about, uh, you know, Ernie Davis, who, who was getting death threats playing down in Texas mm-hmm. for Syracuse. So Jim Brown came in a time, as you said, where blacks were not really fully integrated into the NFL, but in just sports in general, he was a leader and he's another guy that walked away relatively young to pursue movies and other things. I mean, yeah, you know what? He was like, you know what? This is not even fun anymore. I'm running through all of you ass bitches. (laughs) Basically. Um, I'm going to go, go make these movies with Raquel. Yeah. I mean, I mean, don't forget there were 14 game uh, seasons. I think he might've played. I I, I can look it up, but I'm not going to, I think he played eight or nine seasons. So when you see him at number 11 on the list, he had 12,000 years. Statistically. Yeah. Yeah, He He didn't care. He was just done. Yeah. He was done. He's like, okay, I'm done with this. And we have to address this because we are in an era where, you know, people love stats Mm -hmm. nine seasons. 
five, five of those nine seasons, he averaged over yep. five yards per carry. Seven of those nine seasons were thousand yard seasons. He had seven 100 yard per game seasons. That might be number one out of everyone. So every, you know, um, every week that he went out, he was averaging 100 yards. He had eight double digit touchdown seasons. So like every year he was out there, he was putting in that kind of work and getting in the end zone and then had four seventy. And, and, and you know, let's put this in context for, for you guys that are younger. This was an era in the 60s when he played, okay? The idea of a pass was if you're going to throw it, just throw it 20 or 30 yards down the field because it's not worth taking the risk. Otherwise, we're going to run, okay? So the other team would put eight, sometimes even slide a ninth guy up there, okay? And he just – it was a 14-game season, and you were consistently running into eight- and nine-man fronts because that's just the way the game was played. There was It was either a deep pass or a run, <laughs> Amel, it's funny you say that because uh, I'm going to give people an idea of what a quarter, what a pass was back then. Quarterback would take the snap on the center, <laughs> literally run back with his back to the entire yeah. offense and defense, set up at some point 10, 15 yards behind, bend his back un- like in a crazy way and launch the ball in the air and say, right. hey, I should probably come down. Other than I Johnny Unitas, who was, who was a true uh, – groundbreaking quarterback that he could sling it like Unitas. You go yeah. up, Bart Starr would throw the ball. The Packers won five championships in the 60s. He'd have games he threw the ball ten times. But Bob Greasy in the early 70s yeah. had games where the Dolphins would throw the ball 10, 12 times. So this guy... Uh, yes. And, and quarterback... Yeah, like this, this guy was incredible. I encourage anyone <laughs> listening to the to, to us today to... If you haven't seen some film, go watch... Pull up some film somewhere of Jim Brown. So I guess this worked like this. Um, Amel, I need you to make a list of the top 10 running backs in the NFL. And you're like, oh, that's easy. There's Jim Brown. Yeah, well, I, I already knew who one was. That's how the seriously, that's how it started. Oh, oh, oh my oh my goodness. Right. What do I do? What do I do here? All right, let's quickly run through the who. Well, wait, wait. I already kept track of you and me. Here. The only two, this is amazing. Chad and I do this with a lot of things with football. We don't talk about it. We end up almost in the same spot. Chad left two guys off his list that I had. Frank Gore, I had a 10, and Tony Dorsett at 9. They didn't make Chad's list. And on my list, uh, I omitted two guys from Chad, uh, Curtis Martin and Ladanian Tomlinson. So that's the two guys that I omitted. Okay. Yes. So now name some other guys. I need to talk, I need to talk about Frank Gore, though. Emil, I don't know if I've ever shared this with you, but I was on the sidelines for all of those home games in the 2001 Miami Hurricane season. Um, I was not at a point in time where I really followed high school football then. Um, the, 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 the Hurricanes would blow teams out in 2001. We all know that. And the first time it happened – you know, you start clearing out the bench, you start putting guys in. And typically what you think back then is, okay, these are going to be lesser players, obviously. Um, these aren't guys good enough, and I'm holding up air quotes, to start. And they would put this number 32 in there. First of all, he's wearing number 32. Um, and he was not particularly tall or anything. Like, you know, just right. like, looks like a running back. Emma would hand the ball to this kid from Coral Gables High School. And he would do ungodly things coming through that. First of all, he'd hit the line like a bolt. He'd be running behind his pads amazingly. 
the sharpest cuts you ever saw. Amazing vision. He could stiff arm you, truck you, run by you. And everyone was like, who the hell is this guy? So much so that it started to get to the point where um, if you if people in the stadium thought Frank was going to get the ball, they'd start standing up and you'd hear, you know, you'd hear the crowd starting to rustle and rumble. You'd start to see the defenses start to feel like, man, we'll just put Clinton Portis back in. I think we'll just deal with that. You know, rather than whoever the hell this kid is that we don't know that's wearing 32. And this is pre-first ACL injury, Frank Gore, who, Amo, I don't know what he would have been in this league if he didn't have the first or even the second ACL injury. But and that's and that's kind of why, you know, like I said, when I got done with this, it was hard because, again, I don't – I mean, I know how good two guys you put on there, Tomlinson and Martin, were. I mean, for me to leave them off was hard. But, I mean, I did the eye test with Dorsett, and I just said, listen, I know what this guy meant. It wasn't even me being a Cowboys fan. I mean, I didn't put Emmett Smith number two. I mean, I, I, I just I know what he meant to the Cowboys. So I couldn't leave him off the list because he won a, they won a Super Bowl because they got him. I really feel that. Um, and so I had to leave somebody off. I left those two off. And then I got to Gore and it came down to Tomlinson or Gore. And I said, you know what? I know how good you know, I know how good Tomlinson was. Believe me, I know. But, I mean, this guy had – I mean, I, I can't get over. He had 16,000 yards. Yeah, why he's off the list for me, there are, there are just the one too many below four-yard per carry seasons, below 1,000-yard seasons. Maybe I will view Frank differently. And this is a kid I know personally and love. Um, maybe I'll view it differently when he finally hangs it up. But it was just when I looked at some of these other guys and I looked at that, it's like these last few years was a hang on um, and and pile up some stats type of years, you know, accumulate stats. But knowing Frank, like I know him, he's playing because he really does love football. I mean, so four point four point three yards per carry for his career. And that's being lowered by, you know, these two at the end is 36 and 37 year old seasons. Um, you know, but you look at his first when I say his first 10 years in the league. There's not a season below four. I mean, you know, so, I mean, I, I don't know. I would have loved to have seen him just stay in San Francisco, and I would say this about a lot of players. Um, I would just would, would have liked to have seen him stay there in that system. I know they had some lean years, uh, you know, after he left, but I would have loved to have seen him just stay with that. Sure, I mean, he had eight, size. nine. This guy had 9,000-yard seasons. His age 33-year-old season with the Colts. He, I mean, granted, 3.9 yards a carry, I get it. But he still had 1,000 yards and carried the rock 263 times at age 33. I mean, that says something, too. So, I don't know. Do you notice, do, do you notice this, Emil, a bunch of the guys, with the exception of maybe one on our list, just played on? Yeah, I think, that's, I think that helps, you know, because then otherwise you get that journeyman status at that position and then you become an eight-carry a game back, you know, I think so. You know, I think when you become, when you stay with a team, you're, you're the linchpin and it says something about the type of player you are. So. Yeah. Without going into great detail with all these guys, cause we're running long here, but um, obviously you mentioned Tony Dorsett hard for me to leave him off. I did. It wasn't just an easy thing for me to do tough um, because I watched Tony Dorsett growing up speed, all that good stuff and change things around for Dallas. Um, man, Fred Taylor, the eye, the eye testing, Fred Taylor, with the ball in his hand. Um, I don't want to compare someone to Barry Sanders, but Fred Taylor did a lot of great things with a ball in his hand going through a defense. He just didn't stack 
Injuries kept him from stacking those seasons together. Yeah. Um, Edron James. Well, listen, let's go down the list here. The top Um, seven made all the major list in terms of total rushing yards. Number eight, neither of us had in there, Jerome Bettis. Bettis, to me, was an eye test thing. I think he was a great running back. I think he was partially – yeah, bulldozer, partially, uh, you know, just a system guy. The Steelers ran the ball a lot. The list here. Um, Yes, Marcus Allen is off the list. You know what, Emil? He just – wasn't when you compare him to all the other guys, wasn't um, an all time great catching the ball out the backfield, which he did a lot, wasn't an all time great in terms of running the football, but a great nonetheless. Well, to be fair for people who don't know the story, he got Al Davis and him had a big falling out. Uh, they won a Super Bowl in 83 with Marcus Allen. Um, they had a big falling out afterwards, and Davis literally benched him, drafted Bo Jackson, who isn't on the list, by the way, because of injury, uh, and basically relegated Marcus Allen in his prime out of a vendetta to the bench before he finally ended up finishing his career productively in Kansas City. So, I mean, Al, you know, he lost some 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 yards there. <laughs> yeah. Can we um, just – can we – you mentioned him. Can we talk about Bo Jackson? If Bo Jackson – did not play baseball and focused himself and stayed with the Raiders for maybe 10 or 11 seasons, you know, almost like I said about Eric Dickerson, I think that's, that's the guy who everyone would have been chasing. Emil just as a, as a, the, the greatest athlete, I don't think you can argue with me here. The greatest athlete of our lifetime. Um, oh yeah. Uh, I, he might've just been really unstoppable. Because all Bo did was average five yards a carry and rip off long runs. Yeah, yeah. Besides the baseball issue, the the bigger thing was he just got hurt that, that when he had that catastrophic hip injury. Yeah, what a uh, painful thing. Yeah, watch. I mean, you know, he had that injury at, in football with the Raiders. That was in a playoff game. I still remember who they were playing. They were playing the Bengals. Yeah, uh, that was that damn was, Bengals. Yeah, that was the end of it. I mean, you know, he 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 only carried the ball. You know, you look at his stats. He had. Uh, 515 NFL carries, which isn't a lot. He played four years. He, he, you know, his high high yard carry one year, 1989, 173 carries for 950 yards. He averaged five and a half yards a carry. He just didn't play enough. He he played baseball. Yeah, yeah, and so that upended Bo. We kind of got cheated on that part of it. Jumping back to Edge and James because I, you know, got cut off there. But um, Edge and James, maybe maybe two or three more. Edron James type seasons, and he probably is on this list. Just when you stack them up statistically against some of these other guys, he just didn't didn't make it in there because of because of that. Yeah, oh no, no, yeah, it's hard. Listen, you when you start, that's what I said. When you start doing a list, when you when you take the top twenty five rushers in NFL history, maybe toward the bottom, it's a little bit easier to leave a Jamal Lewis or Ricky Waters off or Warwick done, and there's nothing wrong. They're all great players. But after that, it's hard because there's guys that are, you know, like you and I, we both put OJ on the list. We did that separate of one another. So obviously our eyes told us something. I don't care if he was 21. Yeah. I don't care if he's 21. That doesn't mean anything to me because I know how the eras change the stats. OJ is a top 10 guy. So that means I have to leave somebody off this, my list that makes me feel bad because the, cause they were an incredible player too. Here's a guy that's not on the list. He's not even in the top 25, but you've seen him play. And he, he, he took a pounding and left early. Earl Campbell, go check oh, Earl yeah. Campbell. <laughs> oh God. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, any of you guys listening to this who played any kind of defense would not have wanted to deal with Earl Campbell at, at all. 
at all. And you feel bad about a number of guys. Um, you know, um, I mean, Clinton Portis was a damn good player for a while. Sure. But, but going well, back to Campbell, Campbell only lasted seven years in the league. And, and people have to understand, this guy just – he got abused. I mean, it was terrible. Okay. Along those lines, I went into this almost thinking that I might be able to put Eddie George into this list. Then oh, sure. I couldn't. Well, let me just hit you with this. Earl Campbell's first three years in the league, 1,450 yards, 4.8 carry, 1,697 yards, 4.6 a carry, 1,934 yards, 5.2 a carry. Then he fell, fall off, he fell off to 1,376, and you could see from there – his career went downhill. His carries, his yardage, the next uh, every year that he played after the first three, was under four yards of care, four or under, because the first three years in the league, he carried the ball three hundred and two, three hundred and sixty eight, and three hundred and seventy three times. That's unheard of. Yeah, um, they ran they ran the tires off of old Earl Campbell. So he's another guy. What could have been if he'd have been able to hang around and last for a little while? And by the way, I don't know if you've ever had a have you seen Earl Campbell lately? He, oh, he needs yeah. help getting around. It's really it's one terrible. of those bad one of those bad deals. All right, man. Well, listen, we uh we came and did what we said we were gonna do. So if you are just a pure football fan, sports fan, I hope you enjoyed our top 10 list for today. I had some fun putting it together. I hope you had some fun listening to it. I had fun presenting it. I'm sure Amo feels the same way. Um, and yeah, well, was- I, we love doing stuff like that when, when, when it's challenging. I mean, anybody can do these lists where, where, you know, but that one was fun. I like that. That was good. Yes. So um, I appreciate you guys taking the time to listen to this podcast. Again, uh, if you're new here, Go ahead and subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to this on. We're doing this on a weekly basis. So um, you'll be notified next time we put one of these out. So we'd appreciate you um, joining us there. Emil, I don't know if there's anywhere you'd want someone to follow you. As for me, follow me at Gridiron Studs on Twitter. Um, be sure to check me out there. And you can drop any comments that you may have um, on, on anything we presented today. You think our top 10 list stinks. Feel free to yeah. Chad Ch- will be there. sure to ma- mention them on the next show. Yes, um, and we will obviously post a link to this uh, on Facebook, and we'll we'll do all those great things. So when we post the link, if you have any type of feelings or comments about what we're doing here today, you can tell us the show sucks. You like it? You like our list? Or you have your own opinion as to who the best um, NFL? Uh, running backs were or how you feel about our college football takes because this is an important thing going on here feel free to comment on twitter or facebook whether that's my page or amel's page all right um anything you got to tell these folks on your way out amel no enjoy the weekend it's doing what it does in the northeast in february it's snowing so enjoy the sunshine for you guys uh down in florida there you go so for amel calamino i'm chad wilson thanks for listening to the gridiron stud show Hey, listen up, loyal Gridiron Stud Show fans. There are apps, and then there are apps. Forget all the social media time wasters. I'm talking about an app that can actually put money in your pocket. I'm talking about Acorns. Ask any successful multi-millionaire or billionaire about wealth, and they will sing the praises of compound interest. When you download the Acorns app and open an account, you can instantly start putting a little compound interest in your life. Acorn sets you up with the ability to make money off of the spare change in your bank account through the use of roundups from your debit card purchases. You can also set a monthly contribution to your investment account that allows you to earn interest while you sleep. Simply set the type of investment portfolio that you want, 
whether that is aggressive, moderately aggressive, or conservative, then connect your bank account for deposits, then forget about it. Each purchase you make on your debit card plus your recurring monthly or weekly contribution goes into your investment account and starts compounding. On top of all that, you can earn extra investment bucks for yourself when you refer friends to Acorns. Watch out, Mark Cuban. Here comes the next billionaire. No, seriously, set up your future by downloading what I continue to call the most underrated app that's out there. Turn your financial life around with the Acorns app. I did. Click on the link in the description of this episode and download the Acorns app today. Your future will thank you.